Welcome to Now on Netflix. We are your guide to shows and movies that you want to know about. In other words, we are watching, but not in a creepy way. I'm Jessica Shaw. This week Now on Netflix is actually 2023 on Netflix because we are going to be talking about our favorite series of the year. And the only person that I want to do that with is the official Now on Netflix Man of the Year, Henry Goldblatt, editor of Tajoom.com. This is my favorite episode of the year. I love doing year-end lists with you. It's so much fun. It is so much fun. How was it for you looking back at all of these series that we had seen and, and in some ways things in the winter feel like a thousand years ago? And It was so much fun for me digging back into this past year and remembering some shows that I love. Jessica, I completely agree. And I love doing this list jointly with you because we have some taste that overlaps enormously and then we have some taste that's totally disparate. And so melding our two opinions has been really, really fun. But I loved pinging you and being like, um, let's consider our X show. And you were like, wait, that came out in like 2019. I'm like, no, it was February. I know it's true. Like I have zero sense of time. You and I came up with a list of 10 and then we're each going to give our honorable mention afterwards. So let's kick it off with number 10. Should I start? Yes, please do. Our number 10 show of 2023, Survival of the Thickest. I adore this show. Um, this is a show that came out this summer, created by Michelle Buteau, who I think a lot of people know as a stand up comic and rightfully so but she created this comedy about a group of friends that when I watched it it just it felt like my favorite sitcoms about groups of friends and by the way that's pretty much every sitcom except for the show friends which I truly hate as you know but I love the world she created I love her alter ego of Mavis I love all her entire group of friends. I love Garcelle Beauvais, who is just the most hellish kind of boss who hires Michelle Buteau's Mavis to help style her. It's such a fun show. It feels different from so many things that I've seen on TV, and I just felt really invested. Jessica, I totally agree. I love that you singled out Garcelle Beauvais' performance because, like, we see her on Real Housewives of Beverly Hills in a certain image, and this was actually entirely different. Like, this was that image set to, like, a thousand on the diva scale and um, she was had a lot of fun with this role what I also loved about this show is it tackled some themes like body positivity and empowerment and Black Lives Matters but not in a preachy way like there was humor found in everything it harkened back to me to two shows that I particularly love um, one was Living Single in the 90s starring Queen Latifah and Kim Fields because it took place in Brooklyn and then second um, one of my favorite shows of all time Happy Endings just because of the way the cast gelled and they vibed off each other yeah I so agree with you even when you talk about happy endings sometimes you watch a group of actors an ensemble and you're like oh my god these people need to always work together and that kind of chemistry I think in a comedy is very rare to see in a first season you usually only see cast like that gel in season two and three and I love that they just hit it right out of the park in season one this is actually adapted from her autobiographical essays um by the same name so if you like the show and want more as you're waiting for season two then um check out her book Henry, what's number nine on our list? At number nine is The Crown, season six, part one, which is the retelling of Princess Diana's final days as she's in Saint-Tropez and Paris with Dodi Fayed and spending time with her kids as well. This is lush. This is heartbreaking. And it also provides a fictionalized version of a resolution that may or may not have happened between Diana and Dodi Fayed. There's so many layers here, and it was just beautiful and heartbreaking to watch. 
it's interesting because like you said, this is a fictionalized account and there's even some magical realism in this season. And yet there are certain images that are kind of seared into our minds, like Diana sitting on a diving board on Jody's yacht and they recreate these tiny snapshots, you know, not specific conversations, obviously, that happen, but these snapshot images that we just feel like a part of our just collective global knowledge, which was so interesting to me. One of the things I love the most about this season was the character they created out of Mohammed Al-Fayed, Dodi's father, who I thought was just a fascinating character. I don't know if he was even remotely like this in real life, but this version, this telling of who he was, I thought was riveting. The way he just wanted acceptance from the royal family and the pressure he put on his son and the relationship he had with his son and also with Diana. I just thought that was something that I really enjoyed this season. Jessica, you and I are both old enough to remember when Princess Diana was killed. And something that I take away from that time is how Dodi Fayed and his father were portrayed in the press as sort of others, quote unquote, and the racial animus that, that the press portrayed them with. It was interesting to have that explored here. It was something that I probably wasn't old enough to register or remember at the time, but was grateful to see it retold and seen through that lens. Yeah, I always think about the gold standard, that Marsha, Marsha, Marsha episode of People versus O.J. Simpson, when there's this kind of reclaiming of Marsha Clark's story. And in ways that when you look at something, and again, that was a fictionalized version of something that happened. But when you see it through the perspective of that many years later, and you're really able to see a lot of things that were not told in the initial go around with telling that story. This is the final season of the crown I feel like this show has been with us for so long and it's always been one of those shows that I'm like when is the new season started I'm not ready for this show to be over no I'm not and new episodes are out today so if you want to watch the conclusion of it you can now perfect and we should say that it uh, kind of cleaned up with Emmy nominations and also Golden Globe nominations. Emmy's nominated for Best Drama. Elizabeth Debicki, who's so excellent as Diana, has an Emmy nomination for Supporting Actress. And then on the Golden Globe side, also nominated for Best TV Series Drama. And then Imelda Staunton, who plays the Queen, Elizabeth Debicki once again, and Dominic West, who plays then Prince, now King Charles. Henry, at number eight on our list, the show You. This is another show that I have been watching from the very beginning. And you and I are both friends with the author of the You book series, Caroline Kepneys. So this was a show I just could not wait to see adapted. Penn Badgley is just so wonderful as this murderer who we as viewers kind of can't quit because he's smart and he's charming and it's just uh, such a fun show to dig into. This season took us across the world into Europe and ended up back in New York. I want to remind people because this show came out in February. It was one of those ones that I was like, Jessica, wait, this was like from 2012. And we're like, no. So Joe goes to London and um, ensconces himself as a professor of literature and meets a bunch of students and gets very enmeshed in sort of high society posh London, which you can imagine what Joe thinks of it. He's sort of disgusted by it, but yet slightly in 
intrigued as well. This is the twistiest season for me yet. I thought the twist and turns were just incredible. I thought the way that they explore the theme of disassociation and how people can crack is very interesting too. And I will not give away anything about the finale except to say that A, it's amazing. B, there's a Taylor Swift needle drop that is just so perfectly, perfectly placed. And C, it sets up the final season in just an amazing way. And I can't wait to see it. I believe The Crown will do this as well. There are nods to the entirety of the series. And I think it's really impressive when a show this far into its run can figure out a way to connect dots from back in the first season. Jessica, I agree. And also, there are little loose threads throughout the previous season of people who know Joe's secret. And they're still alive in various places. Like, perhaps someone's in hiding. Perhaps someone may be imprisoned. But his number could be up like watching that unfold in the final season is just going to be incredibly thrilling let me ask you a question do you want his number to be up or do you want him to get away with everything jessica that's such a good question oh my god i don't know what the answer is either. for me that's why i'm asking i like, don't either I... I think well the moral part of me of course wants him to rot away for the rest of his life in prison the tv lover in me absolutely wants him to get away with everything i hear you <laughs> Henry, what's our number seven? Our number seven is Beckham, a documentary about soccer star David Beckham, his rise to fame, his marriage to Victoria Beckham, who was Posh Spice. Exploration of their home life and how they grapple with fame and their careers. It's really, really interesting. And they're beekeeping, Jessica. They're beekeeping. David Beckham is such a charming subject. And Fisher Stevens, who I did not expect to be the person kind of running this four-part docu series and he does then all of a sudden I'll be like why are you talking about coffee makers Fisher Stevens oh right you directed this whole thing and I just I found David Beckham's story so utterly compelling and I'm not a soccer fan there was something about how this story was told from his childhood up until present day that was so riveting and as you said Posh Spice Victoria Beckham is the star I mean this is called Beckham but Posh is everything in this series I mean there's so many funny moments they have such a fun relationship that Fisher Stevens really captures so well like he'll kind of make fun of her and get her to admit that her dad drove her to school in a Rolls Royce or at what point she's saying goodbye to David and to the cameras she's like oh yeah I'm, I'm going to work he's like where are you going she's like uh, I'm going to work and he's like where are you going and she's like I'm getting a facial and it's just so much fun to watch you really get that fly on the wall sense and I really enjoyed it <laughs> Jessica, I'm going to do a hard right turn. And what is our number six show? Well, from straight love to queer love, the ultimatum queer love. Henry, this was a show that I said to you, there's no way this came out this year. Not only did it come out this year, it barely came out half a year ago in May. This was one of my absolute favorite shows this year. So just to remind people of the construct of this show. Five couples made up of women and non-binary people. Um, one partner is ready to get married and hitched and like wants everything from the other partner. And the other partner is sort of the subject of the ultimatum. And then they get together with couples who are in the same position and they switch partners. And this season we got to know one of my, I mean, truly favorite TV reality villains of all time. Of all time, Jessica. The name is Vanessa. And if you know, you know. 
And Vanessa was matched with Xander, and who is a lovely, lovely, lovely person. I think we can agree that, like, as deliciously evil as um, Vanessa was, Xander is like the angel sitting on our shoulders. And Vanessa seemed to be there just to have a real good time and to mess around with some women and live her best single life, which flew in the face of the premise of the show, and it made for such compelling television. I truly loved all of these couples for better and for worse. And then sometimes you're like, I know who you need to end up with. And oh my God, do not go home with the person you came with. And sometimes the reunion episodes will break your heart, but the journey to get there was just incredible. This reunion episode was one of the messiest hours of television I saw all year. People are walking off stage. People are yelling at each other. There's some legal stuff going on. And Joanna Swisher, who's the host, she's like watching a tennis game, just going back and forth, not sure what to make of it. It was so good. I found myself so invested in all of their lives after the reunion, too. Like, all of a sudden, I was following every single one of them on Instagram and like, oh my God, what are they posting? Who are they with now? Who's that girl? Da da da. And then I had to just cut myself off. Jessica, the reunion actually ends on a cliffhanger and that one of the couples may have split for reasons unknown. So if you go to doom.com, we have scoop on um, Lexi and Ray Lynn in particular. Number five, we have a show starring Carrie Russell in The Diplomat. You were such a huge champion of the show from the beginning and loved the show. Tell me what you loved so much about it. Well, I mean, Carrie Russell is such a rock star. She plays the ambassador to the UK and just a real worker, someone who does not like to be in the spotlight, fights for women's rights, is just doing all the good work. And because of various things going on in the White House and a possible vice presidency opening, she gets sent to be the ambassador in this incredibly high profile role. Obviously, the UK is an ally with the U.S. It's it's a lot about parties and galas and you you better be in a black tie dress all the time and you you live in this incredible mansion and it's just so not what she thinks she wants to do. And she goes to the U.K. with her husband, his name's Hal, played by Rufus Sewell, who is so excellent in this. And he's a former ambassador and their relationship is truly unlike anything I have seen on screen before. It's this this match of intellectual equals who can't make it work on a human level and yet they're really the only one the other one can rely on and trust. It's really such a fun show. It's, by the way, not at all about politics. It's also just about marriage and there's drama and there's just a really hot foreign secretary named Austin Dennison. And he has a lot of chemistry with Carrie Russell. And I cannot wait for season two. This was a show that was in the global top 10 for four weeks and it was in like 87 countries. It was in the top 10. So a lot of people got very into this show and Carrie Russell, as you mentioned, is so great in it. She was nominated for an Emmy for lead actress in a drama series and also for a Golden Globe. Yeah, I agree, Jessica. This show is just terrific. Carrie Russell pops off the screen. Uh, it's created by Deborah Kahn, who created Homeland. I don't want to even say it has Homeland vibes because it's entirely different, but she does infuse some politics in there as well as some Vogue photo shoots or a spectacular Vogue photo shoot. So come for Carrie Russell, stay for the Vogue photo shoot. Oh, 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 oh,
Number four, Henry, on our list, another reality. Don't you love how I'm talking about all the reality shows? Squid Game, colon, The Challenge. You and I talked about this on this podcast just a few weeks ago since it just came out at the end of November. It's, of course, inspired by the just insanely popular series Squid Game, but this time real-life contestants compete in this series of very high-stakes games. Some of them are seem super simple, and some of them are social, and the goal is to win four and a half million dollars. Jessica, what this show did so well is sort of twofold. One, you're like, how can you keep track of 456 contestants? And no, you can't. But what it does is shine a light on the ones who are most charismatic and the ones who have a story to tell. And so there may be like 40 of them throughout the series or maybe 50 of them, but you follow their journeys and it's quite easy to follow. So don't be intimidated by that. The second thing that this show does so well, and I think we talked about this, I compare it to the early seasons of Survivor. As a viewer, I didn't know what's going to happen next. And that was so thrilling and intriguing. And when some of these unscripted shows hit seasons 10 or 12 or 40, you get the gist of the idea. Like, they're going to vote someone out every episode. They're going to go through this challenge. This show was so unpredictable and so amazing in that way. And it kept me on the edge of my seat. One of the things that I loved about it was you might get really invested in a couple of contestants and then they would go home. So you never got the sense that the producers were kind of dumbing it down for you. Like, oh, pay attention to someone in episode two because you could be tracking someone for two, three, four episodes and then all of a sudden they're gone. Agree. I want to single out a couple contestants who just stood out to me. So two contestants I really loved were mother and son, Leanne and Trey. And they had adjacent numbers to each other. Leanne is like one of the most impressive women to be on reality TV. First woman to receive a basketball scholarship at the college she went to in Kansas. I believe it was Kansas State. Um, she was an editor of the New York Times. Like, just very accomplished. Her son is very, very sweet. And the two of them having to navigate this weird labyrinth of people and everyone knowing that they were related to put an extra target on their back and I think they handled it very well. Jessica, I was reading in our alma mater at Entertainment Weekly that they're thinking of bringing back some of the cast from the first season into the second season because it was just renewed. So I want to put my bid in for Leanne and Trey to come back for season two. I would love to watch them again. I agree with you. I mean, between the two of us, I feel like we've seen every reality competition Every show. reality show in history. Everyone. I mean, listen, I love Trey and I wanted him to win the whole thing. And spoiler alert, he doesn't. But Leanne in particular felt like someone I hadn't seen. Someone who was like, oh, one of us can get through to the next level and I'm competing against my son. You bet I'm competing and I will like leave him in the dust. And there's something that's so empowering about watching a woman who has accomplished so much. And I think women over 50 who are often just kind of relegated to being the quote unquote old person on a reality competition series. And she was such a competitor and she was so smart and she was as in it as every other person. I wanted just to see more and more of her. Jessica, as a mom, if you were competing against one of your daughters in Squid Game, the challenge, would you be like Leanne? Depends which one. <laughs> I am torn between leaving my life at Netflix and applying immediately and being the responsible um, journalist or content creator that I am and just like silently rooting for my couch. Fair. Um, the one thing that really gave me the most anxiety was the thought that Glass Bridge, which is just one of the most just visually beautiful things on the show, and the thought of falling through, that was giving me heart palpitations. Every single person who fell, I was like, 
This right here is the reason I will never compete on this show. Well, if you want to know how that was orchestrated, you can head over to todoom.com. Oh, good. Thank you for the impending panic attack. Jessica, number three is one of my favorite shows of the entire year. It's Heartstopper. It is a warm blanket of a show. You have to have a heart of stone not to love this show. Um, it's about two UK teens, Charlie and Nick, who um, explore their sexuality and a friendship that blossoms into a relationship and their group of friends who are diverse and lovely and bright and funny. And this season featured a trip to Paris and it also delved deeper into Nick's family. Nick is played by Kit Connor and you got to see a lot more of his mother who's played by the amazing Olivia Coleman and his biphobic brother and his absent father so you learned a lot about his family unit this season also explores the friendship turned maybe a little more between Tao and Elle and Isaac, who's a really interesting character um, and came out as asexual. And it's not a storyline that I don't think I've ever seen on a teen show before. And they did it with such sensitivity like they do everything. And it's been renewed for a third season. And I'm waiting with bated breath for it. This was one of those shows as we were looking back on the year that I was like, Oh my God, my daughters, speaking of my kids, who um, I would not let go through on Squid Game, they were just utterly obsessed with this. It was one of those shows I somehow like, oh, shiny thing over there. And then I forgot to watch. Do you have that with anything that like, as you looked back on the year, you were like, oh my God, how did I not watch this? I meant to. This is what I'm doing over Christmas break. Jessica, it's so funny you say that because we're going to be talking about movies next week. And there's a movie that I just totally skipped over. And that's definitely going to be on our top 10 list because I know that you liked it as well. So yes, I've had that. But to your point, Heartstopper, they're half hour episodes. It's the perfect binge over the holiday. If your kids are in the background, you can have it on. It's fine. It's very wholesome and sweet and inclusive and just incredibly well done. This show just warms my heart. I cannot wait to watch this. <laughs> One and two, we were going back and forth over where we should rank them. Our number two show is Queen Charlotte, a Bridgerton story. And for all of the fans of Bridgerton, of which there are, what, 40 bazillion, this is a six-episode prequel spinoff, and it's about young Queen Charlotte and her marriage to young King George, created by, of course, Shonda Rhimes. But I loved this show. I loved the world that was created, which was obviously Bridgerton-esque, but it did feel like a different world. One of the things I loved the most was when you see Charlotte meet young Agatha, Lady Danbury, and I just, I loved seeing things that would pay off in the other series. Jessica, I agree. This series fits so well into the Bridgerton universe. It was such a snug fit. And I love those flash forwards too that perhaps will pay off in future seasons of Bridgerton. Um, it was a star making vehicle for its three young leads who just like popped up the screen in the biggest way. And there's been some criticism of Bridgerton that it doesn't explore any LGBTQ relationships. And you got a relationship between the attendees of King George and Queen Charlotte. And their love story also unfolded as Queen Charlotte and King George's did too. And so I enjoyed watching that. 
Can we talk about the music? The soundtrack, the costumes, the visuals. I mean, just all of it is delicious, but the music is amazing. There's kind of um, reinterpretations of Beyonce or Alicia Keys, SZA, Whitney Houston, Dolly Parton. It's so, it's just so much fun. Completely agree. Listen, I'm steeped into the Bridgerton community. Like, I love the Mothership show. I adore it. But I have talked to people who even like Queen Charlotte better and you can absolutely watch this as a standalone series you can go into it without a single bit of knowledge of Bridgerton and you will be fine by the way we should mention that it was just recently announced that the next season of Bridgerton premieres on May 16th part one and then part two on June 13th yes getting Bridgerton back it's finally coming for us Our number one show of 2023 is the incredible series Beef, which I was like, is this a cooking show? What is happening? No, it is Beef as in I have beef with you as in an amazing moment of road rage between these two strangers, like pulling out of a parking lot and what happens, the the way things unravel and fall apart from there. It stars Steven Yun and Ali Wong. I've been fans of both of theirs for so many years and yet they deliver performances that are so outstanding, that are funny and just aggressive and devastating. There is an episode with Steven Yun in a church where he kind of falls apart. I think it's maybe the third episode in the season that I think is one of the finest moments of acting, regardless of film, TV, anything that I have seen all year. Jessica, I was so impressed for the germ of the idea for the show, for starters. Like, how many times have you flipped somebody off or, like, yelled at them behind the wheel because you're just so pissed at what they did to you on the road? And, like, this show also, by the way, made me a more careful driver and that I will not do that anymore because the consequences can be dire. But just taking that and the way it was spun off and the creator, Sonny Lee, this was based on a real-life experience. Not It didn't go as far, but he had a road rage incident that, like, sat with him for a long time. And he decided, like, what would it look like if I just spun this out. And as you say, it's utterly original, like in a world that IP is returning all the time. And like, we're getting reboots of this and reimaginings of that. This show is just so incredibly original. Plus, it had a rice cooker that played Kelly Clarkson since you've been gone. So what more can I want? This show is also a darling of the awards circuit. It has many Emmy nominations from Outstanding Limited or Anthology Series. A lot of the cast was nominated, um, including Ali Wong, and Steven Yeun and so many others as well. And then it got directing and writing nominations and also for the Golden Globes, nominated for Best Limited Series, Anthology, and both lead actors as well. Jessica, the final thing I'll say about the series is it has the goriest death scene I've seen all year, but yet manages to be humorous. Yeah, it's, it is threading a needle, this series, and um, I just can't recommend it highly enough. There's a reason it's number one. You and I agree that is for sure the best series of 2023. 
But Henry, there are a couple shows that did not make it on our list that we want to give honorable mentions to. You go first. Jessica, what I love about our two honorable mentions is they couldn't be more different. And they're so expressive of our individual personalities. Mine is a specific episode. Um, It is the Joan is Awful episode of Black Mirror. It's the first episode of season six of Black Mirror. And it is about a woman who discovers that a global streaming service has the rights to her life. And so she lives her day. She sits down to watch her favorite streaming service. And there's a retelling word for word of what she did that day. And Salma Hayek is playing her. And it is an episode that has stuck with me for six months, just in terms of the acting and the performances between Salma Hayek and Annie Murphy, who plays the original woman who life is um, being portrayed in the streaming service. I'm dying to give away the twist, but I won't. Needless to say, it is just so entertaining. And this woman, Joan, is truly horrible. Like she's cheating on her boyfriend and she has to fire someone at work and does it in a really cruel way. And so having this character having to watch Salma Hayek portraying her is brilliant. As she's realizing this happens, she goes to more extremes to see if Salma Hayek will do these certain things. And there is a scene in a church and you've never seen Salma Hayek that way before. That is all I will say. It is the Joan is Awful episode of Black Mirror. I can't recommend it enough. It is not scary like so many other episodes of Black Mirror are. It is humorous and satire and makes you think twice about technology. And the whole cast, I mean, in addition to Selma Hayek and Annie Murphy, I mean, Hamish Patel, Rob Delaney, Iowa Debery, Michael Sarah. It's just it's like one person after another is amazing. Really, really great. And there's a visual cameo of from one of the biggest actresses on earth that made me howl. So enjoy it. This is my holiday gift to you. And mine at the other end of the spectrum, if you need to feel the feels, perhaps to cry, there is the series All the Light We Cannot See, which of course is based on the best-selling novel by Anthony Dower about the end of World War II and these two worlds, one of this young blind girl who has to leave Paris during the Nazi occupation and then this German soldier and the way that their lives kind of intersect. And it's a four-part series. I loved this show. Um, I thought that Aria Mia Loberti, who plays Marie Laure, who plays the older version of this blind girl, and the girl who plays her as a young child, because there, there is time jumping that goes on in the series. They're both absolutely incredible. Just to recap, in case you're making a list and checking it twice of what you want to watch before the ball drops, number 10, Survival of the Thickest, number 9, The Crown, number 8, You, number 7, Beckham, number 6, The Ultimatum, Queer Love, number 5, The Diplomat, number 4, Squid Game, The Challenge, number 3, Heartstopper, number 2, Queen Charlotte, A Bridgerton Story, and the number one show of 2023 is Beef. Jessica, thank you. This is my favorite time of year where we get to rank TV shows, and I'm so glad that we get to do it together. Henry, next week, you and I are going to break down our favorite movies of the year. We'll see you next week. 